What's up, you guys? I'm back. You here to hear first, Jason Schwartz. I am back with the Sauce Lab podcast for the 2021-2022 NFL season, and I cannot wait to get it started. I've been missing sitting down and talking to football, talking about football with you guys. I've been missing giving my predictions, giving all that stuff. I really did need this big summer break because I was going hot and heavy. 15 episodes in 2021 alone, and now we're back. I'm coming for season two. I think we're going to call this one season two of the Sauce Lab podcast. I am so excited to get started. This week, I have a fantastic episode for you guys, one that I've worked on for a very long time and just something that I'm very interested in talking about altogether. Just, it's a really great topic, but I wanted to go over everything before I got into it. Yeah, so this summer I worked at day camp. I was a counselor for fourth grade boys at day camp, which while it was so much fun and I love working with kids and I love seeing their little faces, it is tiring as heck. So literally my days would end at like 5.36 and I really just did not have the motivation to then sit down and record and edit a whole podcast. Not to mention that there was barely any NFL news going on. So I was like, this is a really great time that I could just take this break. Actually, ironically, I got the vaccine in April and then in May I went to Dominican Republic with some of my boys and then came back and actually got COVID, sadly enough. So I was sick for a little bit and I've really been going on and off of being sick throughout the entire summer. Then my microphone was broken. So all these different things really trickled out and I really just could not get back to the podcast. But overall, I did have a fantastic summer. I really had so much fun, but I miss sitting down. I miss talking to you guys. I'm so glad that COVID restrictions are finally opening back up. I mean, I know the Delta variant seems like it's becoming really prevalent and really a bad situation, But I'm really hoping that all you guys are vaccinated, all you guys are healthy, and we're getting back to it. It's a new year. It's a new work, school, things like that are starting back up. So it's really big. I actually leave for Syracuse in two weeks, and I'm definitely going to be continuing the podcast there. You guys are going to hear some new names, some new voices. I'm going to hopefully have some of my friends on the podcast in season two, maybe interview some other people. But I'm just very excited for what's to come. So the NFL season is back, finally. The first week of preseason is finally coming to an end. And we're getting to see all the stars and the rookies in their new places. I mean, in week one, they barely started any of the starters. But last night, particularly, was the first game that we got to see Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence... Uh, all the rookie quarterbacks, all the rookies just on both sides of the ball. And it was so good to see everybody in their uniforms. Uh, During the Hall of Fame game, Najee Harris looked like fit right in. Like just, it's really good to get back. Two more points just before I get into the topic of today's video. One is I'm really actually considering switching this podcast from a football-oriented podcast to a variety podcast with football, basketball, and rap music. Those are probably the three things that I have the biggest passion for in life, and I really do want to find my way in which one I am most passionate about. Definitely right now it is football, but all three bring me so much joy. I feel like I'm pretty well-versed and have good knowledge in all three of the fields, so I would be more than happy to switch it up. I really, I would love your guys' opinions if you guys want to reach out to me and say whether you like or don't like that idea, but... 
that's where I'm feeling. And the second is that I really hope that I'm gonna be posting a lot more on TikTok and on Instagram. So please make sure that you follow the Sauce Lab podcast on Instagram and on TikTok. On Twitter, I'm really hoping that maybe I could throw in some YouTube videos this this season. I want to make this as big as I can, obviously. Last semester, it was just like a have fun, do it while I'm in the dorm type thing. I would obviously love to make it as big as it possibly can be, and that is with the help of you guys. So I want to just do whatever I can to start getting the ball rolling and being as good as possible. So today, I'm going to say the topic of the video. This is one that I've been working on for a very long time. You guys are probably reading the title saying, what the hell does that even mean? It is the Fringe Fearful, Fringe Fantastic Five. It's the five quarterbacks, in my opinion, that are on the fringe of booming and becoming unreal or busting and just becoming this career backup type guy. I think that you guys, if you are as well versed in football as I hope that you are, you guys can probably make the guess. None of these guys are rookies. None of them are very old veterans. They're very young guys who have all gotten some shot in the NFL in some way who really have a question mark to their name. Are they going to be the guy that leads their franchise? Are they going to be even good this year? Is the organization going to give them time to grow and develop? Or because the NFL is so quick moving and the rookies are getting good so quick, is it just going to be you're in or you're out? So I'm going to break down everything about these five players. First, I'm going to start out with my big prediction about the five as a whole. Then I'm going to go into, I made multiple data sheets. One is a sheet primarily based around facts. One is one about opinions. So the fact is like, how good is their receiving core? How good has their record been? How good is their head coach? Things like that that are already set in stone. But then the opinion sheet is more about their statistical and what they're good at on the football field. So their deep accuracy, their mobility, their IQ, their just poise in the pocket, different things like that, that I really gave a point value depending on how I felt and what I've seen out of their career so far. So obviously, both the point value things are really up to my interpretation, but I think that you guys can definitely agree somewhat. Then I did a little section where I surveyed both friends and people that I just trust who know football, as well as pulled uh, different websites online, and I tried to create what people thought would rank, how different people rank these five quarterbacks and where they would just see them, just to see where that compares to me. Then I'm gonna end it off by giving my checklist of what each quarterback needs to hit this year for them to actually break out and become the player that they have hoped to be or that the fan bases think that they can become. And then I'm gonna end it with my final five and give you my list of where I think that these players are going to end up at the end of the season. So let's get right into it. The five players that I've chosen as the fringe fearful, fringe fantastic five are Daniel Jones from the New York Giants, Sam Darnold, previously from the New York Jets, now on the Carolina Panthers, Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles, Drew Locke of the Denver Broncos, and Tua Tagovailoa of the Miami Dolphins. So all these guys, very, very young, like I said. So I'll quickly go through each of their little like sections. I think I'm gonna go by section and then read the ages and like the things for each person. So I'm gonna start with the ages. Daniel Jones, 23. Darnold, 23. Hertz, 22. 
Locke 24, and Tua 23. So that's just where they stand, all in the 22 to 24 range. Very, very young. Daniel Jones has two years pro. Darnold has three years pro. Hertz has one year pro. Locke has two years pro. And Tua has one year pro. So that you could take that into account however you want. That one I didn't really give a point value because anybody can really break it at any time. I don't think that there's a specific criteria for a certain level or age or amount of time that you're in the NFL that you need to hit to be a successful quarterback. We've seen Kurt Warner do it in his 30s. We've seen Mahomes do it in his first full starting season. So it's really just up in the air. That one's just two things that I just wanted to throw out there. It's now with our first actual thing that has a point value connected to it, which is the head coach section. This one is obviously so, so important. I think even just a casual fan, even a very nerdy fan like me doesn't even realize just how much the head coach matters. How I really imagine football is a chess game and every player is a chess piece and the player playing the game of chess is the head coach. It's head coach versus head coach who can do with what they have in the smarter strategical way. So it really matters so much. So out of their head coaches, every single value, by the way, when I said a point value is going to be a number one through 10. So the higher that it is, the better that it is. And then at the end of each of the lists, we're going to average out the points and then try to help that to determine who could become this new breakout player and not. So for the head coaches, Daniel Jones's head coach is Joe Judge, who I gave a 7 out of 10. Sam Darnold's coach is Matt Rule, who I gave a 6 out of 10. Jalen Hurts's coach is Nick Sirianni, who I give a 3 out of 10 just because we have not seen him yet. Also, what we've heard out of camp, what we've heard from this previous offseason, that's just where I stand with it. Denver Broncos' Vic Fangio is a 5 out of 10. That one, I think I was a little bit harsh, and I definitely could have bumped him up maybe to a 6. I don't think that he's as good as Joe Judge or Brian Flores from what I've seen this year. And then I'll just end it. Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores is an 8 out of 10. So in that order, I have, it goes Flores, Judge, Rule, Fangio, Sirianni. You don't need to really memorize these statistics. I also think that I'm just going to put out the spreadsheet on my Instagram page once this episode drops as well. But that's how I feel about each of those head coaches. The offensive coordinators. So for the Giants, it's Jason Garrett, who I have at an 8 out of 10. For the Panthers, it's Joe Brady, who I also have at an 8 out of 10. For the Eagles, it's Shane Steichton. I'm not even too sure how to pronounce his name. I did a lot of research about him. He's never been an offensive coordinator in the league. I gave him a 4 out of 10. For the Broncos, it's Pat Shermer, who I gave a 6 out of 10. And then for the Dolphins, it is George Godsey, who I gave a 4 out of 10. So again, that is, you'll see all these point values at the very end. I think in that order, it goes Joe Brady 1, Garrett 2, Shermer 3, Godsey 4, Steichen, I'm pretty sure, is 5. Now, what is their record as a starter so far in their career? So... At first, we have Daniel Jones. He is a 31% win percentage at 8 and 18, which, so then for these ones, I gave the point value. I rounded it to the nearest 10th, and then that's the point value that they got. So at a 31%, he gets a 3 out of 10. Darnold has a 37% win percentage. So round that up, that's a 4 out of 10. He went 13 and 25 in his career. That's all on the Jets, uh, which is actually higher than I think I would have thought going into it just because of how abysmal the Jets were last year. People did forget he had that 7-9 season in his rookie year. That really helped him out a lot. 
Uh, Jalen Hurts only has a 25% win percentage, and that's only one in three. He's really only started four games in his career, which is difficult. So it's a smaller sample size, but we can only do with what we have. So he gets a three out of 10, 25 I rounded up. Drew Locke actually has the best, no, 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 not the best. I take that back. The second best win percentage on this list at eight and nine with a 47% win percentage. So that's a five out of 10. And then last is Tua, who is definitely the best winner out of all these guys. I think he did the least to win those games just because his defense was so elite, but he has a 67% win percentage, which gives him a seven out of 10 in that one. Next one that I'm going to look at is their current backup and how much of a threat that is for them to steal the job. So the way that I'm going to do it, rather than the higher point value is the better player, the lower point value is because just so that it works out in the end, the higher numbers are the ones that are supposed to benefit you. So obviously, if the player's a good backup, it's going to be a lower number because it's not benefiting you. It's hurting your value. So the backup for Daniel Jones is Mike Glennon, who gets a 6 out of 10. The backup for Sam Darnold is P.J. Walker, who gets an 8 out of 10. The backup for Jalen Hurts is Joe Flacco, who gets a 5 out of 10. The backup for Drew Locke, this is definitely the biggest conversation of the offseason with the Broncos quarterback situation. It's definitely who's going to get the starting job. Teddy Bridgewater, I'd give a 2 out of 10, which means that he would be on the flip side an 8 out of 10 worthy player in that position, which is just really not good for Drew Locke and what he could bring to the table. And then Jacoby Brissett is the backup for Tua, and he gets a 4 out of 10, which obviously, think of that one more as a flipped. Then I gave my own personal rating of team confidence. This is how the team feels about the quarterback. None of them get an 8 out of 10 or higher just because they are on that fringe of not being good. The only people that get the 10s are Mahomes, uh, I'm not even going to say Rodgers, Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, guys like that. Those are the guys that get 8 out of 10 and higher. But very closely, I'd say the Giants value Daniel Jones at a 7 out of 10. The Panthers value Darnold at a 7 out of 10. The Eagles value Jalen Hurts at a 4 out of 10. This one I gave so much lower just because they've been involved in Deshaun Watson trade talks. People were saying that there's a possibility that they could have drafted a quarterback in the offseason. Just they did not seem like he was the guy. For the first two, one of the teams, the Panthers, traded assets to go and get Darnold. So I feel like they need to have pretty high confidence if they're going to be giving up Uh, future players in exchange to get him in the QB room. Not to mention they got rid of Bridgewater to quote-unquote upgrade to Darnold, so they definitely have confidence in him. And then Daniel Jones, it really seems like he's had the job solidified all year. So that's why I have four or seven seven four then for the broncos i have drew lock as a four out of ten this is clear because they traded for teddy bridgewater a backup if they really had five or higher confidence they wouldn't be trading for a backup of that stature of that caliber they'd more be doing what the other teams are doing and getting like a veteran who's eh who's clearly not going to be competing for that job but it seems like teddy bridgewater has a chance to become the starter right away and then drew lock is never even seen throughout the season And then lastly, I have the Dolphins with a 5 out of 10, and they're a 5 out of 10 for Tua, just because they were pulling him in and out of games last year, clearly showing that they were already not confident in him then. They went out and got Jacoby Brissett, arguably one of the best backup quarterbacks of the last four years, really showing that we think he's the guy, we're going to have him start, 
but he's not our surefire guy. Not to mention that they were probably the front runner and probably still are the front runner for Deshaun Watson just because their team is ready for him now. They've been in talks of all the big quarterbacks that could have been traded. And Rodgers, I think there was some conversation of him going to the Dolphins, things like that. That's just why I have that where it is. Then I have the running back rankings. This is where I put the running back, not as how they are as a runner. This is how they are benefiting the quarterback. So Saquon Barkley is a 9 out of 10. McCaffrey is a 10 out of 10, the perfect guy for a quarterback. Miles Sanders is a 5 out of 10. Melvin Gordon, a 4 out of 10. And Miles Gaskin, a 3 out of 10. If you disagree, like, uh, so be it. This is really opinion-based. But I feel like out of what they've done in their receiving game, Sanders, Gordon, and Gaskin have really not showed much. Gordon is definitely getting older and could be Javante Williams' job. Miles Gaskin, I he is one of the lowest guys that I am. I'm so low on him going into this season. I just don't like the offensive line. I think that they're already going to do running back guy committee. So much stuff like that. Miles Sanders, I'm just not very confident either. But the first two guys, if fully healthy, Barkley and McCaffrey are clearly two of the top three to four talent running backs. They both catch the ball out of the backfield, can run routes very well. Very good for a quarterback to have. Their receiver one. So then for the receivers, this is not who's genuinely lining up in the one slot in the X position. This is their number one option. Then their number two option, number three. And when I rank this out of 10, this isn't how good they are as a wide receiver. It's how good they are as the first option, how good they are as the second option, how good they are as the third. So that's just to put it into perspective before I get into that. The number one option for Daniel Jones will be Kenny Galladay, who gets an eight out of 10. The number one option for uh, the Carolina Panthers is DJ Moore, who also gets an 8 out of 10. Devonta Smith is the number one option for the Eagles, who currently gets a 3 out of 10, just because when you look at all the other wide receiver ones in the league, it's just he is not on, he's probably bottom three for sure. Uh, Cortland Sutton gets a 6 out of 10, just coming off of that ACL injury. Maybe he's a 7 or 8, if not, but right now he's a 6. And then Will Fuller is going to be a 5. He was really never that number one for the entire season in his career. So I can't put him any higher than five. Uh, for the second option, Darius Slayton is a six out of 10. Robbie Anderson is an eight out of 10. Jalen Rager, a four out of 10. People are really hoping for a bounce back type season. But as of right now, I can't put him any higher than a four. Re the Eagles wide receiver room is really going to hurt Jalen Hurts in this ultimate scheme. So, so, so much. Uh, the number two for... The Broncos is Jerry Judy coming in at a 7 out of 10. If he can really clean up those drop problems, I think that he can have a career similar to the greats. He's so amazing at route running. He's somebody that I'm very, very high on. And whether it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater getting him the ball, I think that he's going to have a breakout season this season. And then the last guy that I have is Jalen Waddell as a second option coming in at a 5 out of 10 for Tua. Then for the third option at receiver... Then I have a whole tight end one, but this is just the third receiver option. Uh, I have Kadarius Toney at a 5 out of 10, Terrence Marshall at a 4 out of 10, Travis Fulgham at a 3 out of 10, Tim Patrick at a 7 out of 10. Just look at P PFF. Just look at the highlight plays. This man doesn't drop the ball. He is so underrated. And then Devontae Parker, I actually have an 8 out of 10. Obviously, coming out of last season, he probably would have been like a 2 out of 10 first option. But the fact that they got these other two guys and then are allowing Devontae Parker to just not get the looks from the good corners is going to benefit him so much. So I give him an 8 out of 10. And then for the tight end rank, I go Evan Ingram, 5 out of 10. 
Dan Arnold, 3 out of 10. Dallas Goddard, 7 out of 10. Noah Fant, also a 7 out of 10. And then Mike Gusecki, a little bit higher than the other two. I've been at an 8 out of 10. I think, honestly, I could put Goddard one tick higher and have Noah Fant be the odd guy out instead of having Gusecki the odd guy out a little bit higher. But that's just how I have it. And then last but not least, the last thing that I have on the fact sheet is the O-line rank. I give the Giants a 4 out of 10. I give the Panthers a 5 out of 10. I give the Eagles a 7 out of 10. This is obviously with an, a healthy line. Last year, they did not have a healthy O-line. And I know that a lot of the guys on it are aging. But if Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, those three guys especially, if they can stay healthy, then I think it's a 7 out of 10. Uh, the Broncos, I am going to give them a 6 out of 10 for their O-line. And then with probably, in my opinion, the worst O-line in the NFL the Dolphins come in with a 3 out of 10. I just don't like anybody on their offensive line. They have a lot of young guys who have question marks. Obviously, they can turn into something a lot better than I'm predicting for this upcoming season. This is just what I saw the last season, but that's where I rank. Now, taking those numbers, all the numbers that I just spewed at you guys, I'm, I conducted an average out of all those, and this is the fact sheet, sheet 1, N number and that is just how I think that they're going to do this season with the factual things that are around them the head coach the weapons that they have the o-line things like that in order it goes number one Daniel Jones with a 6.363636 ongoing at number two I have Sam Darnold at a 6.31818181 continued so it's only a very small margin of difference but that is where I have Sam Darnold at number two. Then, surprisingly enough, after the entire list was done, I have a tie. And that is a tie between the Dolphins and the Broncos. Both have a 5.4090909090 continuing on forever. So that is just everything around them, I guess, is very similar. They both have pretty stacked receiving cores. Both have a very solid young tight end. Both have an eh offensive line. Both have a pretty established coach. It's They're just in the exact same spot. And then at so much less than all the others, I have Jalen Hurts coming in at a 4.4545445. So that, re that part of it really does not benefit Jalen Hurts whatsoever and puts him at such a lower point. I looked at the next thing. This is my opinion sheet. This one I'm going to try to go through a little bit faster. This is just how I feel about what they do, what they do. Short and medium accuracy for Jones, 8 out of 10. Darnold, 8 out of 10. Hurts, 4 out of 10. Locke, 6 out of 10. Tua, 8 out of 10. Deep accuracy. Jones, 8 out of 10. Darnold, 6 out of 10. Hertz, 3 out of 10. Locke, 7 out of 10. And Tua, 5 out of 10. The throw on the run, I gave Jones a 6 out of 10. Darnold, 8 out of 10. I, I really liked what I saw from New York out of Darnold when he was on the run. Hertz, a 5 out of 10. Probably could have bumped that up, up a little bit, but still just very inaccurate in the short field, so I couldn't give him anything higher than a 5, I don't think. Locke got a 5 out of 10, and Tua got a 7 out of 10. Then Vision. This is Vision, ability to make the second read, just like just scanning the field and things like that. Uh, Daniel Jones, 5 out of 10. Darnold, 6 out of 10. Hertz, 4 out of 10. Locke, 4 out of 10. 
to a 7 out of 10. Then arm strength. This is just ability to get the ball deep. That's just not deep accuracy, not being able to complete the deep passes, just how far you can huck the ball. So Daniel Jones, 7 out of 10. Sam Darnold, 6 out of 10. Jalen Hurts, 4 out of 10. Drew Locke, 9 out of 10. And Tua, 5 out of 10. And then their pocket presence. This is how they move about a collapsing pocket. This is how they're, they're poised in the pocket. It's really just an eye test type thing, but you can clearly see it in players if they're getting disgruntled in the pocket or not. Daniel Jones at a 4 out of 10. Sam Darnold at a 4 out of 10. Jalen Hurts at a 5 out of 10. Drew Locke at a 7 out of 10. And, a, and two at an 8 out of 10. Then their rushing ability. This is not rushing behind the pocket. This is the ability to step up over the line and go for a first down, go for a ton of yards, rush for touchdowns, just the ability to like be a running back as a quarterback, basically. So Daniel Jones has a 7 out of 10. Darnold has a 6 out of 10. Hertz has a 9 out of 10. Clearly his biggest strength. Clearly the thing that he's going to have to ride on if he wants to be a breakout player. Uh, Drew Locke, I have at a 5 out of 10. And Tua, I have at a 3 out of 10. Uh, he is underratedly a top 5 slowest quarterback in the league, in my opinion. Then next thing that we got is QB mechanics. This is just going through your reads. The arm, like how it looks when he throws. Just how good they are all together like that. Then I've got Daniel Jones at a 6. Sam Darnold at an 8. Jalen Hurts at a 6. Drew Locke at a 6. And Tua at a 7. Uh, size, this is literally how big they are as a person. Daniel Jones, an 8. Darnold, a 7. Hurts, a 3. Locke, a 5. And Tua, a 6. Decision making, this is just throwing the ball in the right time. Putting the ball where it needs to be. Getting it to the right read when it's not covered. Like getting to the open man, things like that. I got Daniel Jones at a 5 out of 10. Darnold at a 4. Hurts at a 6. Locke at a 6, and Tua at an 8. Anticipation, this is throwing to the player before the player gets there, not throwing directly to the player or behind them, but actually leading the ball to the person. I've got Daniel Jones at a 7, Darnold at a 6, Hurts at a 5, Locke at a 5, and Tua at a 7. Then break sack, this is ability within the pocket to get off of pressure. Daniel Jones, I have at a 3 out of out of 10. This is clearly apparent by the fact that he got sacked so many times and all the forced fumbles that he had. Uh, Darnold at a 6 out of 10. Hurts at an 8 out of 10. Locke at a 4 out of 10. And Tua at a 5 out of 10. And then injury history. That's a big one. I mean, we all don't know who is going to get injured this coming season. So I don't know how much this will actually matter into how they do this season, but it's something that you need to consider when going into it. I have Daniel Jones. Oh, no. Oh, and then actually, I take that back. This is going to be another backwards one where the higher that it is, the healthier they are, and the lower that it is, the less healthy they are. So I've got Jones at an 8 out of 10, Darnold at a 3 out of 10, Hertz at a 7 out of 10, Locke at a 4 out of 10, and Tua at a 7 out of 10. So ultimately, I will read this one in order for how I think that they are at their mechanics and how good they are basically at playing quarterback. At number one, I have Daniel Jones at a 6.27. At number two, I have Tua at a 6.17. At number three, I have Sam Darnold at a 5.96. Number four, I have Drew Locke at a 5.55. And then number five is Jalen Hurts at a 5.14. So that is where I have those guys. Then the public opinion sheet. This is 
I, I'm just made two different sections. One between me and my close friends, and I wanted to just give the average for that. I'm not going to go over what everyone's list was, but I made an average of where each person falls, and I wanted to list that off. And then I wanted to do the same for different websites. I'll name the websites right now. These are all, and I tried to refrain from using any fantasy football websites. This entire video is not about fantasy football. It's all how it'll do just as a normal person. That's what the podcast has always been. It's not fantasy football oriented unless I say otherwise, but this is just the websites that I saw that rank quarterbacks based on how good they think that they'll do this season. PFF, NBC Sports, the Chris Sims podcast, SB Nation, Pewter Report, Sporting News, The List Wire, Odyssey and reporter Mike Clay did like a statistical prediction. So I put that into a ranking one through five. So out of me and my friends, the average list went Sam Darnold had an average of the second ranking, Jones 2.5, Locke 3.2, Tua 3.5, and Hertz 4. And then for the analysts online, I have Jones at with an average of two. Tua 2.8, Hertz 2.8, so technically they're interchangeable, Sam at 3, and Locke at 4.3. So ultimately, because I just saw Tua come up at one more, I'm going to put Tua higher, so the analyst rank would go Jones, Tua, Hertz, Sam, Locke, and then for me and my friends, it would be Sam, Jones, Locke, Tua, Hertz. So ultimately, when going through and checking through all of these lists, I had to make a final sheet now. This is the average of sheet one, the fact sheet, and sheet two, the opinion sheet, and I created a final rank sheet. This should be numerically, without any eye test, just based on how I rank my players, this is where it should be in order. Number one, Daniel Jones at a 6.312. Number two, Sam Darnold at a 6.112. Number three, Tua at a 5.854. Drew Locke at a 5.492. And then Jalen Hurts at a 4.834. So in that order, based on the numbers, based on what I've calculated from the two spreadsheets, it would go in order. Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, Tua, Drew Locke, Jalen Hurts. Now, for the last section, this is my checklist. This is what each of the quarterbacks need to hit in this coming year, what they need to do for themselves. This is now where I just talk about each of the five and I really say what they need to get better at, what I've already seen them do good, and the certain literal things that they need to do within the season to actually make me go, holy moly, this is their time. This is when they're going to break out. They obviously don't need to hit everything on the list, but I think that if they hit three quarters of the list, then I can guarantee, like, I can surely say they had a really good season. If they hit less than half of these things, then I can be sure that they will probably be a backup by next season. So my prediction for the five quarterbacks is that one of the five quarterbacks will become a top 12 quarterback by the end of the season. At the end, we will look back and one of these five guys will be looked at as a top 12 bona fide franchise player who will be getting paid very, very soon. And my other prediction is that two of the five will be out of the league or traded by next season. It's really a guess on who's going to be that. I think that everybody could get behind that prediction, though, in that 
two of the five, and then the other two that would be left would probably just be, they're still developing, they're still, the team is still figuring out whether they're the answer or not, and they're just going to keep developing. I mean, they, they might end up being like the 18th or 19th best quarterback, lead the team to the playoffs with a first round exit, and they go, you know what, why not just run it back? We don't really need to upgrade, this is good enough. Like, uh, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, like a middling guy who just is very solid. Nothing that's unreal, just very, very solid. Also, just another side note, one of the five breaking out into the top 12, this would probably be like the breakout player of the season. This is going to be the Lamar, the Josh Allen, the Patrick Mahomes. So you seeing those three guys really make such a ginormous jump in the last three years. And I think one of these five guys are going to have that same jump. Three guys that I think could make that same jump who I did not leave, who I did not put on my list because I think that they're just already at a much higher point than the other guys are Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. But I think that they're already so much better than the other five guys that I'm doing this entire episode on that even if they do have their quote-unquote breakout year and they become a top five guy, one of these five will still break out, like just because those guys might get good. So now I'm going to go through the checklists. First, I'm going to start with Daniel Jones of the New York Giants. Number one thing that I think that he needs to do, th this isn't in a particular order. They all hold similar value, the same value, like each of the checkpoints. So yeah, just keep that in mind when I read them. So one is that he needs to prove early and often that the fumble and interception problem is being fixed and that he's really working to limit the interceptable passes and his fumbles, but he cannot get rid of his I got this attitude. I'm going to be talking about that a lot in these write-ups. It's really an intangible. It's something that you see on and off the field just when you're watching the game. Is it the oomph to keep going? Do they look timid when they play? Or do they have a swagger about them? Are they celebrating with their team? Are they looking like they're just like supposed to be there? There are, when Patrick Mahomes started for that one game at the end of his rookie season, I saw that in him. And that's why I was so high in him into the next season. And I was right. I think that Lamar Jackson embodied that perfectly in his breakout year. Josh Allen is the most loved dude in Buffalo. So while Cool Common Collective has worked, I think that a swagger or this like, yo, I got this, I'm gonna bomb this, I'm gonna do it right over your head and there's nothing that you can do about it mentality helps you so, so, so much. And I really think that out of these guys, out of these five guys, only two of them really have shown that they could have it. And that's Daniel Jones and Drew Locke. So Daniel Jones, I think has it. I think that with it comes a lot of picks, comes a lot of bad mistakes and things like that, but he cannot get rid of his I got this attitude. He's one of the few guys that really has a rushing upside with the stature that he is. He just doesn't even come off as a mobile quarterback, but he can run. He has a cannon of an arm if he wants to use it. It's really just the decision-making and the accuracy in the midfield where he really needs to take his step up. So prove that he's still an I got this type quarterback and I can claim as that. And he doesn't look like he's just doing five-yard checkdowns to Saquon Barkley every single time. He's actually opening up the field vertically and horizontally, but he gets rid of that issue. Number two, this one isn't on him, but there needs to be major improvements of the offensive line. 
If he goes into the year and the offensive line looks the exact same as it did last season, then I'm sorry, but Daniel Jones will probably just not be taking the next step. He's not good enough to move around the pocket that he can do well with an, a horrendous offensive line. So they really need to be taking the big step up for him to be able to take the big step up as well. Another one is that I think that there should be a consistent rotation of wide receiver two through four. I really don't think that one of the guys should become the quote-unquote two, the second option. He really just goes through everybody. I think that you need to get Shepard involved, Darius Slayton involved, Kadarius Toney, and I think that they're going to run a lot of two tight end sets with Evan Ingram and Kai Rudolph. I think get everybody involved, get everybody the ball. I don't want to see... I think Kenny Galladay will be the one, and I think Kenny Galladay will get like seven to ten receptions a game. Hopefully, if he's healthy, if the offense is clicking and moving well, he'll get his share. But I don't want any one of those guys to really, quote-unquote, fall off the face of the earth, and all of a sudden, it looks like by midseason, Shepard is a cut candidate because he really hasn't been getting the ball because the other guys have. I think that it works so much to your benefit to get all the guys involved Keep switching it up, keep the defense on your toes, and have a good rotation of the other targets. I think that this is a big one. It's also not on Daniel Jones, but it is on Saquon. I think that he needs to be able to handle 18 to 20 or more carries per game as a running back. I know that that's a lot to ask because we really have not seen a fully healthy Saquon Barkley in so, so long. But if he's able to be that workhorse bell cow back that we're drafting in the first round for then that'll take so much off of Daniel Jones. It'll make defenses stack the box and get worried about the run. It'll also open up short, quick passes. I think it'll just make everything so much more of a cohesive offense versus if Saquon gets injured or he just doesn't even look like himself and they need to use a running back by committee with Devontae Booker. I just think that that's going to hold Daniel Jones back so, so, so much. So hopefully having a workhorse who's just the talent and the star that we know that Saquon can be, if he goes out there and shows it, plus you add the offensive line, I just don't see a way that he... Like, he's put in such a good situation around him. The offensive line can step up and Saquon is good. But both need to happen. This is like a in-season check mark, but I think that he needs to leave the first five-game stretch with at least three wins. These are games against the Broncos, football team, Falcons, Saints, and Cowboys. Now, particularly, Falcons and Cowboys, I think, have a pretty bad defense. If they can get, like, and I could definitely see a world in which they beat the Cowboys at home or they beat the Falcons. I'm not sure if that was on the road or at home. I don't have it in my notes. But Giants beating the Falcons is not a big ask whatsoever. Giants beating the Cowboys, bigger ask just because they have a really, uh, the Cowboys definitely have a better offense. But it's definitely possible. The real problem is when Daniel Jones needs to really step up against the Broncos, the football team, and the Saints, all three defenses that I would probably put top 12 in the league. I think that he definitely needs to get a win off of one of those guys, and that'll early and often make me go, wow, he can beat that team. I think that he has a chance to make it to the playoffs, to go far, and to really get really good. I think that in the division, they have such a shit division. It's obviously looking so much better, and you guys know that I'm such a big fan of the Washington football team this coming year, and I think that they are going to be unreal, but I need Daniel Jones to go 
four and two in the division or better for me to even say that he is really making that jump that he needs to do. Another one that I think that he needs to do on the checklist is he needs to utilize the play action to the best of his ability. This is kind of a knocking off of the Saquon being able to handle the carries. I think that if you can really get the defense scared that Saquon is going to be that amazing threat that he has been in his career, then you can just open up the play action pass so, so, so much, get some boxes stacked, get one-on-one matchups on the side. Kenny Galladay is such a great go-up-and-get-it receiver. Even if he doesn't make that much separation, he's so great with contested catches. You do a fake. I want some behind the line of scrimmage, some pre-snap movement with Kadarius Toney riding to the outside. Fake the handoff to Saquon Barkley. He bombs it down the sideline to Kenny Galladay for 50 yards. I could see that happening once a game. For sure, if he really is getting it going, it would be similar to what Josh Allen has done this past year with Stephon Diggs. That's just what I'm hoping to see out of it. And then last but not least, this one isn't so critical because he definitely could make it work if he doesn't do this, but I think that he should run less. I think personally, he is just a better passer than he is a runner. We've seen in open space, he's okay. I guess in the red zone, he's a pretty good runner, but I don't think that there should be any designed runs for Daniel Jones personally. Maybe if the if the play breaks up and there's no QB spy on the field, then I understand going to run for the first down, but there should not be any QB designed runs for Daniel Jones. The next checklist that I'm going to be doing is the checklist for Sam Darnold. So the first thing that I think that Sam Darnold needs to achieve is that Christian McCaffrey must get seven receptions per game. I think that this is a pretty easy mark to hit, especially with what his reception numbers have been in the past. It's not too hard to check down. He runs routes, things like that. But I think that that is just going to improve his statistical ability and what the stats look like at the end of the season so much. I think that is an easy, effortless extra 70 yards and five to eight completions per game just with Christian McCaffrey alone, not talking about their great wide receiver trio and the coaching scheme that's going to help him so much. I just think Christian McCaffrey getting the receptions and being the PPR master that he's always been is going to be so, so vital for Sam Darnold's success. Obviously, I think that Christian McCaffrey needs to be successful on the ground as well for the same reasons that I said about Saquon Barkley before in that it opens up the offense so much. But the screen pass, like, it's so short. I feel like it is really probably the easiest pass made except for a wide receiver screen is a running back screen. So without much difficulty of the actual pass itself, I think that Christian McCaffrey getting seven receptions is a must. The second thing on my list is that he needs to have over 200 passing yards in each of his first six games. Those games are against the Jets, Saints, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, and Vikings. I think that all of these are very doable. Jets, for sure. I think that all of them are, like, it should be the prediction that he gets over 200 yards, except for the Saints, in which he just needs to step up which I think that he can definitely do. The Saints cornerbacks are not too good. Jets, awful. Texans, awful. Cowboys, young, very young. Eagles, pretty bad. Vikings, awful. I could see him going for 200 yards in each of these games. It's not such a high mark to hit, but if he can do that, then I'll be like, wow, he is actually the guy. I think I might actually even raise that number to like 225 per game. I could see him doing that as well. That is a must. The next, another thing that is like he can't do anything about it, 
but they need a consistent guy at left tackle to protect his blind side. Currently, they have Cameron Irving there, who is below average at left tackle. Greg Little behind him, who is very young and I think could take a step up this year if he does get that starting role. And Brady Christensen at a BYU, probably the oldest guy in the draft, I'm pretty sure. So he he's definitely ready to hit the ground running if he does get that starting nod. But I think that whoever it is that gets that left tack, starting left tackle role needs to take a big step up, and that's going to help Sam Darnold so much. Their offensive line is middling. I mean, I love Taylor Moten. Matt Paredes is pretty solid. Their guard play isn't amazing, but I think that left tackle is a big question mark right now, and if they can shred that up, that'll help Darnold's success so much. Another one is, I think, open up the deep ball, but do not rely on it. He was not too great with deep balls whatsoever in New York. He wasn't doing it much. He wasn't successful with deep balls much. Uh, Rule, really, Matt Rule, the coach of the Carolina Panthers, thrives in the short game. And Darnold's accuracy is going to hinge on the screens and the short passes. I think Robbie Anderson in the slot is going to be somebody that we look at so, so, so much. Sam Darnold has always been a big fan of the slot with Jameson Crowder last year, and I think that with Robbie Anderson, they have that previous connection. I think that him in the short game is going to be lethal. I don't want him to just become a short guy like Jared Goff, Jared Goofball type guy, but I think that you keep it short, keep the defense working horizontally, and then you cork one long to DJ Moore once in a while. Or Terrence Marshall, a guy that's been fantastic deep in college. I think he could do the same this year. I think open up the deep ball, get a little bit better at it, yet really get the ball rolling with the runs to Christian McCaffrey, screen passes to him, short gain, waste down the clock, and then cork some long bombs right over the defense's head when they're not doing it. Another thing that I think is that he needs to make his release time even quicker. With the offensive line, it really isn't, I mean, it's so much better than it was in New York, but he needs to improve his timing on the ball for sure. So release time is going to be very big, especially if he's going to be looking for those short passes for the Christian McCaffrey quick two yard out or like just in the flat or something like that. I think revamping the Robbie Anderson connection, I just said that before, but really that is a huge point of emphasis. I think that if Robbie Anderson can become a top 24 wide receiver in the NFL, that is going to improve Sam Darnold so, so, so much along with it because I think DJ Moore is going to be a lock for an 1,000 yard receiver regardless. So I think that if Robbie Anderson can do that and he can sustain two 1,000 yard receivers, I think Bridgewater sustained two last year with Robbie and DJ Moore. So if Darnold can do the same, and and I mean, they got rid of Bridgewater and they got Darnold, so he should definitely be able to is what I think that the front, Panthers front office is trying to tell us is that he definitely thinks that he could sustain both as a thousand yard receiver. And then the last thing is that I think that these are two hard defenses with hard corners. I think that Sam Darnold needs to beat both the Patriots and the Dolphins in week nine and 12 respectively. Those are two really hard games they are definitely doable, though. I really like what the Panthers are doing. You guys heard my episode two where I praise the Panthers and all that they are. I think that their team is really well constructed. I think that their defense is going to be a sneaky top 10 defense in the league this year. But I think that it really hinders on Sam Darnold. If he can hit the things that are on that list, then I definitely think that he is in for a breakout season this year. Tua, the things that need to go right for Tua. I think that the biggest thing, the number one thing, is that he needs time in the pocket. He is a pocket passer. If the line collapses, he is not 
incredible at getting out of the pocket and especially picking up yards past the line of scrimmage running. I think that if he has that sturdy pocket and he's able to just sit calm and clean for at least three seconds, he can dip and dot and dot up the field really, really well. Very similar to like Drew Brees, or I'm trying to think of another like accurate, slower guy like that who's sitting in the pocket. I guess Philip Rivers you could put in that conversation too. But I think that if he has the time in the pocket, it, it's really going to just hinder on the offensive line. If they can give him the time to stand back there and make plays, that is going to be what helps him so, so, so much. I think that a big thing is improving at throwing under pressure. That's kind of coming off the first thing. If they cannot have a clean pocket, he needs to get better at throwing on the run, throwing while there's a guy in his face, throwing while there's a defender who's right on his back and he feels him on his back. He needs to be able to still deliver those deep balls, medium. I think that he's pretty solid in the medium and the short game, but keep airing it out horizontally and vertically. So I think that the next one is... Full confidence from his coaching staff. Obviously, you guys remember what happened last year. The backup is now Jacoby Brissett, who is not as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick. But there were games that Ryan Fitzpatrick would literally come in at the end of the game to be the savior, showing that the front office just did not have confidence that Tua was the guy to end out the game to get them the W in the end. So they need to have that full confidence from the coaching staff. that They are 100% Tua all the way for this season. And they push forward with that. Don't even think that Jacoby Brissett could get any of the time. If that happens, then he's definitely not getting the breakout year that we could predict. Uh, the next thing on the list is also similar to Daniel Jones, spreading the wealth. They have a very, very, very deep receiver room. I think you need to utilize Fuller, Waddle, Parker, Gasicki, and even I was a big fan of Preston Williams. Now that he's back and healthy, I think all five guys should get good reception numbers, good yardage numbers, and should all be involved in the offense with a good rotation. I don't love their running backs. I don't love their offensive line. So while they have what they are really good at, the receivers, they should really emphasize that and utilize all the guys that are on their team, not just Fuller and Gasicki or Waddle and Parker or any like grouping of them should be all five. Another one is that I think that they should utilize new passing plays and just really open up the playbook. I mean, I'd even heard in an, in an interview that they had had a more simple offense for Tua in the first year. Now that they have more confidence in him, open up the playbook, create new plays for the wide receivers and just go deep more often, different new tricks and things that'll just keep the defense on their toes. Their defense is good enough to not have Tua be throwing the ball so much. He can definitely do a more facilitator type role, but I think that just new plays and getting to learn the playbook so much more will help him a lot. The next is I think that he needs to beat an elite passing defense. So either the Patriots on the road in week one or at home against the Ravens in week 10. Both, I think, are winnable. So if he can have a 300-yard throwing and at least two touchdowns throwing type game again in those two weeks, then I think that that'll give me the confidence to be like, this is this guy is having a very good season. And then the last thing, which I don't think is too hard for the Dolphins, I personally do not have it in my end of season predictions, but I think that they need to make the playoffs. They were so, so, so close this year. Tua should be taking the next jump. They did a lot to try to 
like improve the offense. So what should come out of that? An extra two, three, four wins, which would definitely push them into the AFC playoff conversation. I think that that is a must for Tua for him to become a top 12 quarterback this year. Then the next guy that I made a checklist for is Drew Locke. So the things that need to go right for him, number one, clear cut. He needs to beat Teddy Bridgewater in the QB competition in camp by a very wide margin. I want the margin to be so big that people look at Teddy Bridgewater as a guaranteed backup, not a maybe could start, maybe could give Drew Locke a run for his money. I want this to be clearly Drew Locke is the guy coming out of camp. Number two, I think Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy make them the go-to guy. Or, I mean, you can sustain both, I guess. I just don't think Drew Locke is at a level yet to sustain both as a top 10 wide receiver. But I think that there's a chance that one of the two of them could be a top 10 receiver. And I think that Drew Locke, if he can get the ball to them at a consistent rate, Cortland Sutton, we saw, was a top 16 receiver two years ago. And Jerry Judy has shown flashes in games of being able to become a top five receiver. And he is so young and has the athleticism to do that. So I think that if he can find one of them, make the connection insanely strong, and just feed them at a consistent like 10 reception per game level, they could really make the huge jump. And that'll help Drew Locke make the jump himself so much as well. The next thing that I think that he needs to do is improve in the pocket, also while still embracing his arm talent. I think that out of the five, he definitely is able to throw the deepest ball. We just saw in the first preseason game, he just uncorked such a long pass to KJ Hamler, and I love what I saw out of it, very Patrick Mahomes-esque, and I think that if he can do the same, he stays poised in the pocket, he doesn't get worried when he's in the pocket, he doesn't get disgruntled, he just steps up and uncorks long balls to these guys. I really think that it's going to help him so much. So he stays in the pocket and really just keeps doing what he's doing, just gets better at it. Really, that's what it is. The next thing is I think that he doesn't have to quote-unquote do too much. I think that he really needs to take this into account that he doesn't need to be the uncork it long every single time. While he does have the arm talent and while it is obviously the biggest chunk plays is to go deep, based on what the defense is looking like right now, they are going to be an elite unit and they are going to be able to keep a lead. So Drew Locke is not going to be playing from behind trying to pass to lead it up. I could definitely see a world where the defense is top three in the league. They really look insane and they could just rely on Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams and that carousel of running backs to really hold down the offense. And then Drew Locke is passing is really only an option needed if it comes to be. So I think that him embracing that role of, I don't need to be the superhero of the team, the defense is going to be the superhero, and I'm just going to do enough on my side to get the W and walk away unhinged. I think that that is going to be very big for him to do. The next thing on the checklist is that I've heard steady beat of from camp and from this entire offseason that he's really improved his fo- footwork, and I think that the biggest time to show it is going to be against the Pittsburgh pass rush in week five. They're going to be coming at him with vengeance. They have a pretty average O-line, but no, like, unreal tap. I mean, Garrett Bowles was very, very good this past season, but at right tackle, they definitely have a question mark. I think that TJ Watt is going to be screaming at him. So if he can show his footwork that he can dance around the pocket and really improve in that area, I think that's going to help him so, so, so much. Another thing, this is an in-season goal that he needs to hit. 
But based on their division, they have a very difficult division. I'm not too big of a fan of the Raiders, so I'm not putting them on this list. But I think that they need to, at home, beat the Chargers or the Chiefs. One of the two. Both are going to be a very, very, very good team going into this year. Both, I think, clearly leaps and bounds better than the Broncos. So if the Broncos, I mean, on the road as well, but I wrote at home, I think that if they can get wins off of both of those teams, that will be instrumental to Drew Locke having a top 12 year. And then the last thing, which is also another on-the-fence type thing, I think that a lot of analysts say that it could happen. Again, it's not something that I personally have in my predictions list, but I think that the Broncos need to be able to make the playoffs. They have a top defense. We've seen top defenses lead teams very, very far before. They have probably the best secondary in the NFL with that safety tandem, the Patrick Sertan, Bryce Callahan, uh, Kyle Fuller, all those guys on the defense. I love what they did on defense, so I could definitely see. And with those weapons on the outside, just if Drew Locke takes that step, I think they are a guaranteed playoff spot. So them making the playoffs, should it's a domino effect back and forth. They make the playoffs, he's good, he's good, they make the playoffs. And the last one is for Jalen Hurts. So for Jalen Hurts, I have number one, the Eagles cannot get Deshaun Watson. As of right now, it seems like Deshaun Watson to the Eagles is circling a lot and if they do manage to pull off a trade i think the eagles are a team that is very high on his list and a team that wants him very very badly so obviously if they get deshaun watson the whole jalen hurts project is a scrap so they just cannot go out and get him number two and i think this is the biggest on-field thing i really th- would like the rave the eagles to run a ravens type offense where the number one option on the entire field is hurts his legs similar to Le- to Lamar, and they did this Lamar running is the first option type offense. I think that just the offense looks very similar too. Miles Sanders is this bruising big guy running back similar to Mark Ingram. Kenneth Gainwell is similar to J.K. Dobbins in that they can both be backs that are contributing at the same time. I think Goddard is similar to Mark Andrews in that he is probably the most talented receiving option on the team. He's going to be a very big end zone threat. Just a guy that you could just split it up the seams to Andrews. And I think that both O-lines are elite when healthy. The Ravens when Lamar had it and the Eagles right now. If they can maintain that healthy O-line, I could see some games where Jalen Hurts is running 10 to 15 times per game as a quarterback. And that is what's going to make him elite. Obviously, then that's going to make the defense have to have a QB spy. They're going to be stacking the box a lot more, anticipating the run, which will open up the pass. He really would need to improve on his accuracy for that to actually become a thing. Because even though Lamar in his MVP season didn't have so many yards, he was so he had so, so, so many passing touchdowns. I think it was like 37, 38, something along those lines. So it would need to be something similar for Jalen Hurts. Not, not to that number, but he would need to show in the passing category that he can do it too, not just the rushing category. Because I think that we've already seen just in those four games that he started that he can rush and he can be a successful guy as a runner, but he needs to really step up as a passer as well. And with that, the next checklist is improve on the short accuracy, but don't be scared to launch it. I mean, I think that In just a few games that I saw, he wasn't launching it as much as he could, and he really could open up the ball and go vertically so much more, especially with that rut, like the defense being on their toes, not always, like it's just the literal football when you watch it, uh, a 
corner or a middle linebacker usually maybe like a coverage linebacker would be on the player and then if it was somebody who doesn't have the rushing upside they could just stay on that wide receiver for longer in the play because they're not scared of the quarterback stepping up and rushing but just because it's Jalen Hurts versus Drew Locke or Tua the linebacker is going to step up one second earlier giving him that extra second of openness for the receiver to go run a route to change up the route something like that and get open I think that's really where they're going to need to open up and become a better offense in that way. The next thing that I have on the list is that I don't think that he needs to make Devonta Smith a consistent option, but I think that it will be a very huge help. I think that he's already going to utilize the tight ends the most. As of right now, they still have Zach Ertz on their roster, and I know Dallas Goddard is going to be a consistent tight end option, so they're definitely going to look to tight ends first. So I don't technically think that they need Devonta Smith to already have that quote-unquote breakout season now, but we've seen rookie receivers play super well in their rookie season. CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, I don't know if Devonta Smith is that talented and that he could do it, but we've seen it at a college. He was so successful in Alabama, and I think that if he has success now, it'll just help Jalen Hurts' progression so, so, so much. And then the last two is another one that's on the field within the season. It's one, he needs to win more than seven games on the season. I have not seen many predictions that have the Eagles winning seven or more games in the new 17-game format, but I think that if he can win seven or more, that'll really prove that he is the guy for the job that can come out and lead a depleted roster, an older roster, to something a lot bigger than what they are on paper. And the second one, in this shit division, I think that everybody has consistently had the agreement that they are the worst team in this division. So if he wants to solidify himself as the guy in Philly, they cannot come and last in the division. I don't know who it would be. I assume probably it would be the Giants if it's not Philly, just because I'm more confident in the Cowboys and the football team than I am the Giants, but they cannot come and last. Still, again, my predictions have them at last, but if Hertz wants to show that he is that guy that is going to take the jump, then that is what he needs to do. So that is it for all of my individual criteria. I'm going to end it off with my final prediction with how these five dudes are going to rank up throughout the season. And then now on the podcast, I think I'm going to follow these five guys' seasons and try to ultimate. I'm going to do definitely an episode at the end of the season going back and looking at all the things that I talked about saying, did they hit on these points and what are, what did we end up seeing? This is just my predictions. This is what I'm going to say. So ready? In my opinion. The fifth quarterback, obviously not fantasy-wise. This is on the field how they will do. Jalen Hurts is number five. Tua is number four. Drew Locke, even though he wins, uh, in my opinion, he wins the quarterback battle and looks very good doing it. Drew Locke is number three. Daniel Jones in New York is number two. And Sam Darnold of the Carolina Panthers, a team that I have been Rooting for so, so, so much. A guy that obviously is a Jets fan I've been rooting for so much. I really don't put bias in this. It's just when I look at the numbers, when I look at what they need to do, the probability of each of these players hitting their things, I just see Sam Darnold being the guy out of this five that really takes the biggest jump. So... I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I know that this was definitely a long one. I really just wanted to flesh out all my ideas. I've been dealing with that spreadsheet for a while, and I really wanted to just put it out there 
and tell you guys my opinions on that stuff and how these five guys are going to do. I love watching dudes break out and be so much better than they were projected. So I would love to see something amazing happen from any of the five this season. I think that there is a world when, where all five don't break out. But I don't think that that's the world that we live in. I'm just so excited to see who it ends up being, which one of them. All five have such a big shot, and it's up to time to see who that is. I hope that you guys like the episode. Do not forget to like and subscribe. Check me out, like I said, on TikTok and on Instagram with the Sauce Lab podcast. And we're going to be coming back to you guys with so many new episodes so soon, starting this week. I love doing this. I'm so happy to be back in my chair with my fixed microphone doing what I love. Have an amazing day and peace.